Sequel Cast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Inside those domes are creatures from outside this earth. Are you mad? I've seen them. Thousands of tiny creatures that can join together and expand into things a hundred feet high. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies in a franchise one film at a time. This time we are looking at Quatermass 2. Uh, in its U.S. release, it was called Enemy from Space. Uh, directed by Val Guest with a screenplay by Nad- Nigel Neal and Val Guest based on the uh, the BBC uh, TV serial. Uh, I guess you just call it miniseries today or something uh, by Nigel Neal. Starring Brian Don Levy and Vera Day. Uh, I'm Matt bradley Shergy. With me is Thrasher. It's the one thing that may save us and humanity. And Alex. Brian Donlev is back in Machine Gun Dudes. We're going to talk about Quatermass 2. I mean, I, I think, you know, just looking at the name Brian Denlevy and seeing how he acts, it made me think, uh, just because of his first name, if they ever did an American remake of, of Quatermass, what if instead of Brian Donlevy, you had... Oh, oh, he's dead now, I guess you can do it. But Brian Dennehy. <laughs> there we go. He kind of has like similar, similar yeah, facial structure, too, in a little bit, you know? But, but yeah, not, not quite as big of a, a guy, but sort of a kind of an unassuming presence that also can have an intensity that's a bit surprising. Yeah, he, he, you feel like you can kind of pencil him in anywhere. He could be like, you know, like a cop who terrified you as a kid or like one of your like parents' intense friends or something like that. Yeah, like like uh, one of your friends' uh, parents who, as soon as the dad walked in, you knew uh, to just shut up. Right, yeah. Oh. You know what he is? He's the guy whose car you hit with a snowball, and then he stops, gets out, and he's like, you little shits, give me your names and phone numbers, I'm calling your parents, and you're like, oh my god. That's that's who he is. Yep. And you see, if you're smart, you do, you give him the wrong number. Oh, and an, or just a fake name, to just to play it safe. The, the smart, god, I had, that reminds me of, uh, we'll, we'll get to Crater Mass 2 in a second, listeners, but uh, I had a, a, a buddy in high school where uh, a both of them were, were driving their cars back, and I think they both were uh, speeding, or, or or might have been sort of a DUI thing. I'm not quite sure what was going on. I wasn't there. This is, uh, but uh, uh, the, so the first guy in, in front of my friend was was pulled over, and, and they both had, you know known each other since middle school or something, and uh, he. Uh, so my, my friend's pulled over to the side waiting for the cops, and he sees his friend get pulled over, his friend drives off, and the cop goes up to him and goes like, uh, yeah, so do you know what happened? And the cop says, oh, you know what happened here? And the guy's like, oh, yeah, you know, that was my friend in front of me, and uh, we might have been going a little bit fast, uh, officer, we, we pulled over, and he's like, oh, the guy in front said he's never known you. What? <laughs> As a way just to get the cops off. <laughs> that's brilliant. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. I'm like, that's clever. <laughs> Kind of a dick move, but you're sort of 
saving yourself at that point. Yeah, it gets you out of the firing line, right? Right, and and you know once once you've left, it's not like they're going to follow up with you or anything if they. Not to be likely. Warning. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and at Quater Quatermass Two, this is uh came out nineteen fifty seven, and according to Wikipedia, um, I haven't verified this, and it'd be very difficult to verify, but it is a might be the first film sequel to use the number two within the title of a movie. It's definitely one of the earliest because you up until now you'd usually have like you know series or serials so it would be you know Flash Gordon versus da 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 Flash of Gordon versus you know you didn't number them but you just gave them different adversaries like Sherlock Holmes and the Deadly Necklace or Sherlock Holmes and, and, and not only that but it's a uh, numbered on the poster I'm looking at it's numbered with the Roman numeral two two but I believe in the the movie credits it's with the um, regular number two the Arabic yeah. If you look it up, it's number two, but then it's numeral two in the posters. And it's also. I wonder which is on the spine of the DVD. That's. <laughs> I could tell you, but it's in the other room, damn it. Oh, no, no. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> but um, also, the this is a, like the first one, a remake of the television series, and the television series was Quatermass Roman numeral two. Hmm. I see. So they just went right back to what works the, that, the classic hammer adage, you know, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, this is my first time watching the movie. Uh, Thrasher, what about you? So this is the first Quatermass film I ever saw, and mm. I saw it for the first time back in 1992. Uh, this aired on the Sci-Fi Channel. The Sci-Fi Channel had this like movie showcase called like Full Moon Theater or something like that. Yes, I, yes. It it's it's the one where like the the lead-in is they would show this, like, dome on Mars, and they would show all these, like, suspended animation capsules, like, cycle up, and it was all real model work, and then the movie would start. Like, nice. it's just how they identified their movie block. And I came in, like, right at the beginning, and I think, and I and I believe they, they broadcast it under the title Quatermass 2, not The Enemy from Space, and I was just intrigued... I was intrigued by that name, like Quatermass. Like I, yeah. I assumed, hearing that, I assumed, oh, this must be about some weird kind of quasi matter called Quatermass. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Turns out it's a guy. <laughs> it's such a cool sounding name. That was my reaction initially here because I first heard of Quatermass in the pit, and I was like, "What is a Quatermass? Is this a person? Is this a potion? I need more. Tell me everything." <laughs> Yeah, and and I saw it then, and it, and it left it left a, a a big impression on me, especially. But we'll and we'll talk about the effects at the end, because uh, it's some of my favorite kinds of effects. Uh, and then when I was in college, uh, I was just kind of bored in the library and just poking around in the catalog for various things that interest me. And in the in the, our back, this is the Savannah College of Art and Design, where where uh, Matt and I met, and yep. Um, there is a book. There was like a book of like f- film criticism for films based on or inspired by uh, the Cthulhu mythos, and I remember picking that up and kind of flipping through it. And Quatermass Two was one of the movies that was cool. included in there. So you mentioned uh, Scad just now. You're talking about in, in the library. You found that book. Yeah, that was in the uh, the school's library. Yeah, it had an excellent film section. I would spend days and days in that thing, just uh, reading through all the libraries. I didn't want to check out the books. 
because they didn't want to walk all the way back to uh, the the dorms with you know twenty bucks or something checked oh, out, whatever the maximum amount was. And uh, I mean, back then, you know, it was Google was around, Gmail wasn't really around uh, when we were in college, or maybe towards the end is when it came out. And you didn't have Google Books or all these things. It was, you know, a lot harder to do research on this stuff. It's like the the big difference is, is that back then the internet was a thing you did. It wasn't just this <laughs> ever-present thing. It was like, don't use yes. the phone. I'm going online. Right. Well, I, yeah, I mean, even, I don't know if it was in years, but yeah, I, uh, I was really influential class I took several times in high school called they called it mass media which is such a terrible title but basically oh, yeah. it just taught me video editing and filming and directing live TV and all these different things because uh, the guy the the teacher used to work for ESPN and um, edit NASCAR races which he said was boring as hell oh but, god uh, but but anyhow um, I, I mentioned you know the the internet and I spent a lot of time on it he's like well what do you do on it and I said well I, I read a lot uh-huh. of reviews and he's like really that's it and it was just such a different i mean even the the, that you had to dial up to get on the internet that you had to click something and wait a few minutes to connect would be considered kind of intolerable i I, um on on youtube there's i forget the the series of the channel but there's something where they have kids and they try to get them to use old technology and just film their reactions oh yeah to it again like an er or something yeah, like a VCR or what, and and this one they had an old computer, mm-hmm. and they had the icon, and they had it hooked up for dial-up somehow, um, and and to just to see them like what you mean it, there wasn't Wi-Fi? Nope. <laughs> well, it's 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 back you know back back then. Uh, sometimes dial-up was your only option, and sometimes you had several options, and dial-up was still the best option. You know what I'd love to do is a parody of one of those kids react to technology channels, but where it's really archaic technology, like kids react to an Archimedes screw, <laughs> or like an abacus oh, uh, or something. True. An abacus, yeah. Kids react okay, to the yeah. process by which blue dye is created from lapis lazuli. <laughs> back, back to uh, Quatermass. Quatermass. Um, I, I do think it's really interesting that even though these were remade off of um, TV miniseries, uh, that you didn't just take, why not just cut down the miniseries into a feature length? Why go right. through all the effort of filming a movie at, I assume, a higher budget? Than uh, than the than the miniseries, although perhaps not, and um, and just cut the miniseries down to a feature because they certainly have done that with a lot of other things. And in fact, the um, in in England they still do that quite a lot. There's a I think it's now like maybe a trilogy or a quadrilogy of films. The first, which is just called The Trip, um, which was a mostly documentary of some fictional elements with Steve Coogan and someone else, and they go around eating at you know wonderful restaurants in different countries in Europe. Yeah. And originally, those were like six episode. Six episodes is a standard BBC length for a, a, a series, more or less. And it was a, a six episode series. And then it got cut into a feature, and they did that every single time for each season. Well, that's what's funny is that there, it's like reverse now. Is that like you said, they'll, they'll edit stuff down, like um, like uh, Bergman's uh, scenes from a marriage, Fanny and Alexander, face to face. Yeah, were released in the US as features, and then you find out they're you know a Swedish uh, miniseries, and then I'm like, holy shit, I got to track these down. And the funny thing, too, is that the Quatermass series, they're good. I mean, I would put them in the quote-unquote uh, for fans-only category. I mean, I wouldn't suggest it to your casual viewer, maybe. But um, mm. 
They're good, and they're also very successful. So you might think that, like, okay, well, everyone's devouring this BBC series. Why should we release a film of the same story? And the reason is it's just oh, that it was, they've marketable. It. it was just marketable. And yeah. Quatermass Experiment did gangbusters, and that was just the hammer way was like, hey, if it, if it worked that time, let's do it again. I'm reminded, too, of the Monty Python, uh, and now for something completely different, where they refilmed uh, the most popular sketches in the TV show. And while it was meant to be uh, a way to introduce uh, Monty Python to the U.S., in the U.S. it wasn't especially successful, but in England it did very well, even though they're just paying to see on the big screen. Uh, you know, it was sort of a novelty thing for them. Well, keep in mind, though, in, in the case of now for something completely different, the sketches are filmed with a bit more flair. There's a bit more competence yeah, behind yeah. the camera. The The Pythons have taken that stuff and refined it. So in many cases, the comedic timing is a bit better. I mean, it's it's a now for something completely different is a glorious experiment or a glorious experience because uh, it, it's just like you get the best of like four years of Python in one place. <laughs> And on top of that, it was before uh, home video was really a thing. So, oh, yeah. You know, Where you get like, you know, two Star Trek episodes on one tape and that was like the best. I, th- I think that's another thing that is that is missing. You know, back 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 then, if you didn't see it, when it was on television the first time. You may never see it again. Yeah. And this is like 1957, too. So like the, the notion of like reruns, let alone vhs or any home media is just not even on the table no one's even thinking about it you know like imagine you can't you tuned into quatermass but starting at episode three and right. really liked episode three and four and maybe that's as long as the serial went well if you want to see the whole story you've got to see right. the movie. and the funny thing the buddy, too, oh sorry well, the funny thing too is that the this is Quatermass too. You could drop in on this movie without having seen Quatermass Experiment, and you'd be just fine. Yeah, it yeah. is so self-contained to, to the point where it is almost shocking that nobody says, "Well, you know, this is the guy that helped us defeat a space <laughs> monster a few months ago." Yeah, I think you they, do have a reference with the the journalist character who goes like, "Oh, you're the rocket man, Zippo. What's yeah. you fall? You pinched my rocket." And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, um, but let, let, uh, let's get into the the story here. As even, you know, the main character is the titular, uh, well, not quite, he's not, his name isn't Professor Quatermass too, although that'd be funny. <laughs> uh, Professor Bernard Quatermass, played by Brian Don Levy. And uh, Nigel Neal, who, who wrote all the miniseries, and he was kind of disappointed with elements of the first film. So he got uh, more control on this one, had a heavier hand in the script and producing it and so forth. And um, he was really upset that Brian Dunleavy was uh, recast as Quatermass because he felt that he just didn't like the performance. And um, according to some different sources online, not just Wikipedia, uh, which is shocking research for the show, but uh, <laughs> Brian Dunleavy uh, was um, a, a guy that drank while he was on the set, an actor that drank he, while he worked. He had his uh, uh, coffee thermos. Yes. And, um, I guess prior to filming, he would just kind of like, you would ask the whoever the director or the blocker or whatever to be like kind of recap the scene for him. He's like, I just want to make sure I hit my marks. And um, no, he was just genuinely, genuinely confused. But I guess according to Val Guest and um, other crew members, he was a consummate pro throughout. And also he was wearing a toupee for a lot of the scenes. And I think that's why in this one, he's always got like a helmet or a hat on. <laughs> sure. And as well, you um, look at Brian, uh, 
at Don Levy on the sea. I mean, when I was, I was reading some story with they kept on giving him coffee before lunch and after lunch is when he'd get more drunk and, you know, the takes typically wouldn't, and the acting typically wouldn't be as good, um, which was true of a lot of actors around this time. I mean, you look at these actors and they might be like 40 years old, but they look like they're 50 or 60 just because people, I think, uh, were in, in general less healthy back then. It's, it's funny because I think like, the timeline is usually like you're you're 30 for five years, then you're 50 for 20 years, then you're dead. <laughs> right. Like, like Brian Donlevy's basically looked the same since like the late 30s. Whenever that Definitely. mustache happens. Yeah, maybe that is the mustache, the, the turning point. But you um but what's uh cool about this story is it's it's played as kind of a mystery, and I almost wish you wouldn't have seen the reveal of the monsters at the end. I almost wish you could have been, is Quatermass just crazy? Is it all in his head? Right. There's some cool monster effects. I think it's most effective when you get that little shot through the um, through the little uh, window in, yes. into the silo. Yeah. yeah. And then I think at the, oh, I don't want to skip around in, in narrative, but at the end I think it kind of sabotages it a wee bit, but um. But yeah. Well, so something I really love about this movie, it's kind of it's kind of plotted out like a really good X-Files episode. Thank you. Yes. Like yep. you just get these little yeah. tastes and little teases and everything you see, you you get just enough information to keep you intrigued, but there's always a lack of information that keeps you really paranoid and wondering what's going to happen next. Yep. And you know what this reminds me most of and I I, I know we're all vintage TV uh, nerds here. Is like those um, great high concept Patrick McGowan shows, like Secret Agent Man or Danger Man and The Prisoner. Yeah. I get yeah. heavy, heavy prisoner vibes in this because you have this weird, self-contained little town. This like little military community. It's very cagey and clannish. People are very withholding, and you know there's some there's some big bad lurking around. This like Big Brother feel, you know, of like you know don't talk it, don't say anything. We don't fuck with outsiders, and I love that section of the movie. And you can tell they have this own little community. They have a little social. They have a little bar. Everyone knows each other. You know, it's like, oh, my husband got a job. He's in the military. Some special detail. They're going to move us out to this little community. It's going to be great. And then. Right. I mean, a, a lot of the those towns that are around, uh, like like army bases or around, you know, like the big factory in town. It The bar really was a place like, like Cheers where you would go. After work, and as they call it uh, overseas, uh, the pub and, and pub is short for public house. Yeah, and it, you'd you'd have people that would, uh, you know, the husbands would go after work and, and drink themselves shit faced, and they're too drunk to go home, so they would just sleep in the bar and then wake up and then pop out of the bar and uh, with his mates and, and go off to work in the morning. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you'd have like meetings there and shit. I mean, it was it, like in, in in Europe, particularly like the public house was the center of the community. It, it, yes, yeah. it was your it it was where you went to celebrate. It was where you went to mourn. It was where you went to get uh, or distribute the news of the day. Uh, it was your public forum. It was it was so many things. And it's nice that this movie gives a bit of business to some of these supporting characters. Like uh, I mentioned this a bit earlier as we were talking uh, offline, but. It, you know, there, there's a character that comes in as a drunk and you think, oh, this is just sort of like the comedic drunk American. And it turns right. out he's a reporter. Uh, Jimmy Halt played wonderfully, I think, by Sid James. What do they say? Uh, uh, when he's drunk, he's clever. When he's sober, he's brilliant. Yes. <laughs> such, a, such a funny little line. And yeah. 
he but then as they all go to the pub and and try to you know talk to the locals and get information he he has to go on the phone to report it to the newspaper and uh later people come in with um guns and uh you know when you see him you know he's going to be a mark but still he makes the most of a small part and and then you get a lovely dancing sequence with uh, vera day yeah as a sheila the the barmaid I like. And I mean, people people complained about Alien Covenant and Prometheus for characters being idiots with how they react to alien objects. But in this movie, I think maybe kind of started it, where they they see these big pods and they pick them up and go, "Oh, what's what's this?" Yeah, and the, and the well, gas escapes. Well, to be to be fair, these people haven't obsessively watched things like Quatermass two <laughs> their whole lives. <laughs> right. True. Right. This was and new think, territory then. See, I, this, think, uh, I don't know. If I was walking in the woods and saw something neat, I might bend down to look at it. Go like, oh, what's this? See, that kind of like resonated with me because I grew up by the ocean. And like, you know, you're always as, as a kid, you're always like picking up crabs and guppies and fish and fucking God knows yeah. what. And yeah, no, I remember like fucking grabbing this like weird red thing and it bit me. I don't to this day, I don't know what the hell it was. It was but shit like that would happen where you're like, oh, look, a starfish. No, but it's something that wants to kill you. Yeah, but that's kind of what, what gets it rolling is we have, you know, we have a, a young a young couple uh, in, in, enjoying in, enjoying some time in a field and they see this weird shaped rock. But then the rock, cr- like the boyfriend picks it up, the rock cracks open and like blasts weird vapors in his face. And then these like weird civil defense people show up and just kind of like drag him away. Uh and Quatermass is there and witnesses the whole thing. And like, this, this man's in trouble. And then when he goes mm-hmm. back to his facility, which is dealing with possible budget cuts, we get two things. We, well, we get three important things. Uh, one, we get that some of his scientists have just been looking at th- using their space radar to track an unusual concentration of meteor showers, which, of course, we know are the things fall are the weird yeah, rocks naturally. falling from space, which turn out to be missile shaped, which is really cool. I love it when they like reconstruct the shape. Of the missile. We also learned that they have an experimental moon rocket, but they haven't finished stabilizing its atomic motor. And if they don't stabilize the atomic motor, why it could explode. That'll come back later. Right. And also that Quatermass is planning to build like a self-contained moon base. And they have this great, like a this great model on a table of it, uh, of it. But then when Quatermass goes back to that area to investigate the, the young man who got hit in the face with gas and disappeared, the moon base is there. The yeah. moon base he designed is in the middle right. of this field. What I love here is that Brian Don Levy really sells the passion of Quatermass. Because, you know, you're like, okay, he's a bit of a dick. He's a little cantankerous. But you see, like, the passion in his eyes when he's, like, talking about, you know, his moon colony. You know, and it's like you really feel this guy is, like, very passionate about his work. And he really does want to, like, push mankind to these new frontiers of wonder- greatness, you know. Um, and well, you yeah, kind of... Well, the yeah. other thing is that that in, in the first film, he really clearly only cared about science. In this film, we do get to see him finally care about people. Like, he is legitimately concerned for the health of the young man who got hit in the face by all the alien gas. Yeah, he's still, like, you know, no-nonsense and very very, very quick and, and, and blunt. But he actually does have, like, some sense of compassion towards, like, you know, human beings. Um, and uh, I, really, I really like that. And it seems also very ahead of its time. Um, and you think that this is going to be like, is this going to be some like bureaucratic thriller where they're arguing in courtrooms, like, like the second half of contact or something. 
Um, mm. And then we, we get into this whole thing and it's this like weird, like, uh, you know, like duplicate duplication of the thing that he's been tirelessly, you know, working on. And it's like, well, they don't have the budget because somebody already fucking built it. <laughs> what what I like, too, is you get a, a good kind of subtle scene uh, fairly early on where uh, Vincent Brunhead, played by Tom Chato, Chato, um, I'm not trying to pronounce that, uh, who's a member of parliament, comes in and, and uh, is talking with them about it. And he doesn't really seem convinced of uh, Quatermass's crackpot theory. And so he leaves and, and he goes down as he's uh, checking out of the building with the secretary. He notices on the hand is the mark that yep. Quatermass was talking about. Oh, that V-shaped scar. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's such so a little cool. thing. But then from then on, like you're kind of, uh, as a viewer, I, I was watching like, does that character have a mark? Does that one have a mark? Does that like, you know, it's such a neat little tell it, it builds some tension oh totally it, and it you does. can totally see like um uh john carpenter referred to it as the uh, fungus among us subgenre and you can totally see why he loves his um you know uh body snatchers uh remake possession yeah yeah and uh you know i think um there's a screen credit in prince of darkness uh credited towards uh, bernard coitermass <laughs> that's, that's awesome. great i think also too um even the thing where a character thinks he's going crazy and he's kind of fighting against the system reminds me a bit of another John Carpenter film, In the Mouth of Madness, a little bit. Mm. Oh, yeah, totally. Like, like, uh, like you get a bit of that, uh, as you mentioned, Thrasher, with the, the, the book you're reading, the, the Lovecraftian thing, and that you know this guy knows the real story of what's going on, this conspiracy theory kind of thing, and no one else does. And... Uh, and then when people die, like it's it, you have kind of like the cult aspect of um, the oh uh, help me Thrasher what's the Lovecraft story with the the frog men oh the, the shadow village? over Innsmouth yeah shadow over Innsmouth you know there's a touch of that even the way the monster down, yeah. the, the way the monster looks I am convinced like this must have influenced the design of um, Hidora the smoke monster oh totally Godzilla versus Hidora. Yeah. And I gotta say that I love I love the member of Parliament that that lets Quatermass come along with his little investigation of the artificial what is referred to simply as the artificial or synthetic food project. Yeah, <laughs> he's just giant like, tubes of ammonia. Oh yeah, <laughs> but like he's just such like a, he's such a great character because like uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he's just such a great character, you know. And I'll tell those backbenchers that this is the this is the British people's money and we're not gonna have it wasted. And is that the um, go on. is that the official guy or is that the tour guide guy? Well, that's that's the that's the the official guy, the guy oh, okay, who's, yeah. who's like insisting on doing the tour and who lets Quatermass come along with him. Because the um, little little hammer um, Easter egg, John Van Eisen is the tour guide, and he's also uh, Jonathan Harker in the first Dracula movie. Oh, nice! Oh, nice! Yeah, definitely. Hammer like to, to reuse their uh, stable of actors that they. They could bane out their movies pretty quickly because they always were uh, under the gun, as you said. But the uh, I, I love that so much of this takes place in the bar, where, as we mentioned, it says the pub. It's the center of the community. And it's, uh, at, although at first you see people are, you know, they, they decide to try to give a, a rousing speech. Crater, they convince Quatermass to give a speech up on the stage. And people were throwing beer bottles at him and are pretty hostile. <laughs> but then as soon as the uh, the local kind of, you know, government stooge commandos that, that 
look a bit like uh, an enemies out of Wolfenstein 3D or something, <laughs> or, or, or literally like. Uh, and I think you know the the Nazi comparisons are pretty look like fascist stormtroopers or something with this. Oh yeah, mask over the face and everything. And I I, I love the backpacks with the uh, oxygen the characters later have to breathe in. It's so cool. It's so it's very evocative imagery, and it's um I love it because like. This almost feels akin to like other science fiction films we get across the pond here in the states, you know, like a uh, like moon rocks contaminating people, all of a blah, but a, kind of a body snatcher story too. But it really, again, it's like the first uh, first Quatermass film. They really play it down and dirty. It's filmed in that again scrappy handheld black and white. You can tell that this is just like a fucking gas refinery somewhere that they found, you know, and they just filmed there. Um, but it, it does feel just like so much more gritty and dirty and you get this like kind of like uprising pseudo rebellion yes. line of people uh, storming the gates and, 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 you know, machine guns rattling dudes down. It's pretty awesome. Sure. I mean, it's a bit like in the, uh, Frankenstein, uh, the, the universal, um, version of the movie where the, the locals are storming the gates of the castle. I was, I was also thinking of the French resistance and Les Miserables. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it brings to mind a lot of different classic uh even the um what was it the the wall street one percent stuff more recently it, oh yeah it, it kind of you know the of, of the populace rising up uh and that that the whole because the the barmaid gets um killed unfortunately because the meteorite crashes in and she bends down to look at it and it gets her pretty quick uh yeah it's just the, the whole pub, the whole village is angry and they're pissed. And I mean, they start beating the shit out of it. You get this wonderful wide shot where uh, it, it's the commandos versus the, the local populace. And they're just beating the shit out of the people armed with guns and kind of forcefully overtaking them. And I thought uh, they're initially they're going to get massacred, but they don't. Yeah, it's pretty badass. Yeah, when, when they eventually like break into the into the the, the, the moon base slash like synthetic food plant it's it is a, it is a really thrilling scene there's a lot of action and then when they finally all get cornered in that control room uh yeah there's a lot of tension there because you don't you don't know what's going to happen and at this point you know Quatermass has figured out there's a really neat s- scene if we back up a little bit um and I, I i could not find any information about where this was filmed but the tour of the factory there's these amazing exterior shots that place looks like a gas refinery that construction was finished that day because everything looks so shiny and new and like, it right. does make it seem almost too good because like it doesn't have all the rust or grime you would get at like a factory that's operating as a fan of podcast you've probably thought about starting one of your own introducing the new HyperX Duocast. The Duocast has all the essential features an aspiring podcaster would want from a USB mic with HyperX favorites like tap to mute and a vibrant mute indicator. It's compact and elegantly styled, perfect for situations where you want a mic that looks great but isn't too extra. Check out the new HyperX Duocast available at Target.com or shop direct at HyperX.com. You know they're doing they're doing their 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 tour, and the member of parliament sneaks away from the tour because he wants to see he wants to see the synthetic food, and he goes into one of these big chambers, 
And then when Quatermass gets separated from the tour, the member of parliament just kind of comes falling down the stairs, covered in this like burning slime. It's like, don't touch me. They're huge. You've got to do something. Uh, And like, it just, it's so, it's such a simple special effect. They just covered him in like lumpy black goo, but it really just make you think, damn, what the hell is in those tanks? I know you just think of like ammonia, like, like in chemicals and there's talk of food and it also plays to these Cold War anxieties that um, were going on in the UK. Like, if you watch something like the uh, the War Game, or um, that great animated film, uh, When the Wind Blows, like, what would happen in the event of nuclear fallout? How would we survive? What would we do? And it's like the whole like idea of like, we'll produce food and use that as a fucking smokescreen for our dubious goings on. And I like that they give a, a, a tour of that factory initially as, as something fairly benign because then when you return to it it's just i mean part of its budget right you want to have yeah as few locations as possible but <laughs> it, it is like you kind of know this the space already and where stuff is relative to what it reminded me of is uh i live out here in portland oregon and, and just outside of town is uh, tillamook where um the thrasher when you're out to visit we should have stopped there but we didn't uh oh yeah for time reason but it's famous for having a cheese factory and it, local, it's like a the big thing to do in town, and it just it looks like the most boring industrial place with all these pipes. <laughs> it, it, just a building with a lot of pipes and squares, and they did a multi-million dollar renovation where they added a very large restaurant and made the gift shop three times the size, and it lost a little bit of its charm. But the oh. main tour is still the same stupid tour where you <laughs> climb up these stairs, look at these like people standing around cubes and looking at chemicals and watch an old video from the 1970s. <laughs> and, then, and then you go back down and, and pay, you know, $10 for way too much for a grilled cheese sandwich. Mm-hmm. But you get to try all sorts of free cheese samples fresh off the lot. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Also, and they sell anyway. But this tour, all the stuff. geography comes back later in the movie. Oh yes, yeah. It does. It's great. And, exposition and, too. And uh, they open up a, a place that says, you know, emergency weapons, and it has an anti-tank gun. Yeah, like these people have been planning. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, I mean, you you do get a nice uh, money shot, so to speak, of uh, them, them blowing up one of the um, uh, gas repositories, one of the domes, and you get to see it blow up real nice. It's, it's, it's always fun to see. Uh, I wasn't expecting the- that much production value. Well, we get, I mean, they, they, they put all that money into the end, and I think wisely so, but, like, that's where we have, we have these two great scenes where, like, where Quatermass does finally, and we alluded to this earlier, where he looks through this viewing port in part of the factory, and he sees in one of those domes, and in that dome is, like, this giant, amorphous, blobby space life form. And yeah. That's, that's when you know what's going on really clicks into place is that the, there is something from space coming to Earth, but it's sending itself piecemeal in those little missiles. And some of the pieces infect humans and take them over, and other pieces are simply carried back to this facility and put into these domes. And they are using chemicals to make artificial food, but artificial food for the gestalt alien organisms. And that what they're doing is they're trying to help the organism acclimatize itself to Earth's atmosphere so that they presumably will no longer need human bodies once they take over. And it's just creepy as hell. I know, just the fact that they've planned that far ahead, that like, hey, we've got this terrible thing, but they're not going to eat humans, hey. 
Yeah, I mean, a, a part I thought was kind of half-baked at the film towards the end is uh, Quatermass launches a rocket that's unmanned. <laughs> but it, well, it explodes well, they like almost... There was radio control in that opening scene, though. Yeah, but I mean, it explodes almost immediately. And you think, and, and I, I was reading, I haven't um, seen the original miniseries, but just, just looking at the synopsis, maybe you can help me with this, Alex. I guess... <laughs> You do have sequences in the original uh, thing this is based off of where Quatermass and his assistant actually physically go in the rocket themselves. Yes, I think that is right. They do man the rocket, and I think it, it ramps up to, like, a, I guess, spoilers. I think it ramps up to a thing where it's that, like, you know, should we sacrifice ourselves to the greater good or what have you? Um, but, yeah, it's it's. I think it does end, though, with... Uh, with Quatermass um, going into the going in the ship, um, I'm not sure. I think it jettisons the motor or something like that. Um, it's been a while. It's been a few years since I've seen the series, but the series are pretty damn good. But I mean, something like that would have been something more more active. It's just the the rocket. I, I don't know. That just felt like such a forced thing. Like, oh, the first one has rockets. Let's put rockets in this one. Oh, totally. Yeah. I think it's like the same freaking model. Like. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's that's how they defeat the the alien mothership. But we still have, you know, Quatermass sabotages the gas pumps in in the facility, so that you know the idea being, oh well, we'll, we'll just poison these things by by you know changing the mixture of gases and, and messing with the pressure, and it mostly works. But then we get that sort of that glory shot where the whole facility just explodes. And we see these giant blob organisms, and it's clear—it's clearly people in suits, but they're moving in such a weird way, and their costumes are so bulky that it's hard to figure out at a glance how the human is fitting into this thing and puppeteering it. And I think, and overall, I like this sequence. I think it is effective. I don't think it overstays its welcome, just like the giant blob we see at the end of the the last movie. I think this is a really good special effect and you know we see them flail around we hear them scream and then eventually they just decompose in the earth's atmosphere and the cool thing too is that like you can tell that they the way they, they the things move is that they're not really governed by like a bipedal brain they're just kind of in globular or messes you know, they kind of pull to the left while they're trying to move forward they just kind of gloop around and it really does kind of reinforce the kind of like freaky otherness of it all. Certainly. And uh, even the way it looks kind of gloopy and how these things merge with each other. Uh, I wonder if this has been influenced on there's a, a older video game called Resident Evil Zero, where the enemies all look like these zombie slugs that kind of form together into humanoid shapes. Mm. But the the kind of gloppy look reminded me a bit of this movie. I wonder if that could have been an influence on there, but, um, but yeah, it's the way things wrap up is a bit pat. I, I think cause they're, uh, greater mess is like, well, I'll make a report, but, um, this might not be the last one. I think you, you <laughs> want to leave the door open for a sequel. And, uh, there was a sequel, uh, Two more, in fact, you know, there's Quatermass in the Pit and the Quatermass Conclusion. Um, so it was just one of those things. But I, I wish that the final shot would have had a bit, a bit of a punch. It just seems like it kind of is trying to wrap things up as quick as possible, as Hammer films like to do. 
Yeah, that abrupt ending thing. Um, I think it worked wonderfully in the Quatermass experiment where, you know, hey, we, we blow up the dude, the monster, which is actually the astronaut or spaceman, I guess we're calling it for back then. And then he walks off ready to ramp up another project. And then this one basically is, you know, oh, shit, monsters everywhere. They're dead. All right, cool. Let's go home. Yeah, I almost feel like because some of the people who had the 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 organisms in them, you know, the organisms die when the Gestalt creature dies, and they're and you know they're effectively cured. I almost feel like it really should have it should have ended with the person who got infected at the very beginning, just Ooh. kind of like being bewildered and wanting to know why they were in a like they remember getting hit by gas, and suddenly it's weeks later. And like everything is chaos. I really feel like the way it should end is Quatermass just kind of leaning in, like there's quite quite the tale to tell you or something yeah, like that. Yeah, for Dracula. Like you're well, or, or make... you're lucky you don't remember. Yeah. Or even what if he goes with that character back to the pub? Yeah, there you oh, go. Yeah. We'll 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 explain it over some logger. Yeah. And then as maybe as they uh as they have the logger, they notice the guy serving them logger has the mark. Yeah, there you go. Well, yeah, but then that undercuts yeah. the fact that everybody else was cured. Oh, they have to have right. that depressing, like everything is fucked ending for it to be truly Lovecraftian. Well, well I think it, I think it really <laughs> just needs to have an acknowledgement that that you know that's not the only threat from outer space they may have to face. Or some kid comes running in the pub, they're like, "Look, look, I found this cool looking rock." You know, <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> kind of shocked that at no point does anyone ask, "Well, have these things been falling anywhere else on Earth?" Yeah, right. All right, what, what's that ending of Jason X? Oh, look, a shooting star. Let's make a wish. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I would um, I would recommend Quatermass 2. I, I liked it more than the first one. I think it has a bit more pickup to it. You have a better scope. Um, yeah. But the way that the creatures look at the end, I'm not crazy about. But it's it's fine for... That part is fine for what it is. You don't see it. You see it for the... It's the opposite of some of these things. You see it for the story. You don't see it for the monster action. Yeah. I'm going to give it a sequel yes as well. It has it has more punch than the original. It's paced a bit better. Uh, it, it, feels, it feels less like the adaptation of a serial and more like its own sort of self-contained thing. Uh, uh, despite a, hand, a, a, a tiny handful of slow spots. Uh, I love I love the effects. I love the designs. I think the aliens at the end look great, uh, and I think they don't overstay their welcome. Part of what makes them look great is that their appearance is very brief and very very shocking uh, in its way. And uh, Quatermass is still the same blustery asshole he was in the first <laughs> film, who is apparently British despite having an outrageous American accent. <laughs> Got to get more of that. And Alex. Uh, big time sequel. Yes, I I love the whole veneer of this film. I love the kind of gritty, grimy, uh, down and dirty um, execution. It's an interesting continuation. It's not just another, you know, um, creeping unknown as we as it were from the first film. It's it's a whole different thing. And you get this uh, kind of political conspiracy vibe slash like you know rebellious let's overthrow the man vibe um which is right up my alley so um i really do enjoy this film quite a bit and just a lot of machine gun toting gas mask stormtrooper dudes is uh you know fuck it i'll take that all day man awesome well that's a quater mask too you know if people want to find it there is 
um, some DVD and, and more recently Blu-ray releases. Some of the releases even packaged the miniseries together with a feature, which I think would be a good way to go. Um, in the United States, it's a bit trickier to find, and the stuff maybe is more out of print. Your best bet might be to get uh, a region two uh, or a region free DVD player and maybe import something from the UK. Is what I'd recommend. Now, I will I will say this: I was able to find this movie on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so if you dig around on if you dig around on YouTube, you might be able to find it. But I didn't find it by searching Quatermass Two. I don't like. I had to go. I was poking around. I was just poking around for other Quatermass videos, and it came up. Oh wow! Interesting. I mean, it, it, oh and, wow! And it looks like in Australia, this was included as part of the Hammer Horror Collection. Nice. So there's um there's a Scream Factory Blu-ray too. Um, I see that it's got some good bonus features and what have you. Definitely worth it. Uh, but yeah, if you want to actually see the serials, you can watch them on YouTube, like a lot of older BBC stuff. But um yeah, investing in a region-free Blu-ray player is the way to go. Um, and you can get all that cool shit. Sometimes archive.org has some of these older movies that could oh so yeah be a, a case for um things so but anyway yeah it's definitely worth the scoping out no matter how you can get your hands on it do you love japan and video games well so do we we're kinsey and mark from kyoto indie devs chuhai labs join us twice monthly for games silly japan news and all-around nonsense we stink at making commercials <laughs> we've got this one bro be sure to stop by the chuhai labs discord to chat about our games or ask us questions chuhai labs and the nasty labs podcast we're legally the best. Hi, it's me, Jeremy Parrish, co-host of the Retronauts podcast, the only video game history podcast that's been around so long, it's also a part of video game history. Every week, one of the motley rabble who hosts this show leads a deep dive into the past, whether it's to break down a classic franchise, learn more about a timeless game from its creator, or just wallow in nostalgia. Relive history with Retronauts, here on the HyperX Podcast Network. I'm Colette. And I'm Matt. It's time to talk about the most important topic facing humanity. Climate video games. Change. Oh, okay, video games. <laughs> Every week on Colette and Matt have entered the chat. We have in-depth conversations about the games we're currently playing. We also talk to people who make video games as well as YouTubers, writers, and podcasters that you already know and love. We also talk about what you're playing when you join our community. Subscribe to Colette and Matt have entered the chat wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Now let's move uh, on to what you're watching. I guess I'll begin. I whoop. Is Thrasher there? Hello? Yes, I'm still here. Can you not hear me? Oh, I can. My stupid, it's Skype being dumb. It, it's going into <laughs> tiny mode. Oh. And then it only showed Alex's icon on the screen. Okay, very good. Um, I, I guess I'll begin. I was... Uh, Went to the theater to see a movie that, that's been making a lot of money. Um, and it was about what I thought it would be. It has very loud engines in it. It is Top Gun Maverick. Ah. The original I hadn't seen, and I could only make it through halfway because I, I kept losing interest. It's a, it's a Tony Scott film. It's very flashy. Uh, sadly, Top Gun 2 is the last thing Tony Scott was working on before he um, committed suicide um, several years ago. Um, I think he was kind of 
I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but he had been doing these kind of lower budget. He did two lower budget back to back movies, action movies set on trains or subways and wasn't in the best part of his career, which is uh, too bad. I don't know why Tony Scott gets overlooked so much when, I mean, his, his older brother, Ridley Scott, of course, has been extremely successful. Oh yeah. And and Tony Scott was two for a time. You know, he did uh, quite a lot of, um, uh, Jerry Bruckenheimer, uh, Don Simpson productions like uh, Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop 2 and, and all these things. So uh, I, I, I tend to think Tony Scott's stuff looked flashier than Ridley Scott's, but that doesn't mean it was any worse. It just was a different style. And certainly Tony Scott's stuff is a lot more experimental looking uh, as he got older, which I think is sort of refreshing. But um, Top Gun Maverick, it it kind of... I, I don't know. Like it, it's one of those sequels where it copies so much of the original and makes well, so I, many references, it gets annoying. But the I have to admit the special effects and the the, the sound design, the sound engineering on it is really well done. I I have heard that it is just a victory lap for Tom Cruise. Yes, right. yes, I think that's fair. That's a good way. He's to already it. had like thirty six victory laps in the past like five years. <laughs> right. I mean, but it goes to show the new stuff is so. I I saw it with my father in law, and uh, uh, and Rick said to me, "Hey, you know, well, this is the first Tom Cruise movie to make over a hundred million dollars on its opening weekend." And it's like the normal people wouldn't care about that. Yeah. Like why? Like that just seems like such a. Also, I mean, compared to opening weekend grosses of these Marvel movies, that doesn't seem like that. You know, it's it's <laughs> it's great. People are going to the movies again uh, on some level. Um, and, uh, you know, I definitely want to support movie theaters. But Top Gun Maverick, if you have a theater with you with like a really cool speaker system, you can see I probably like on the IMAX stuff, it would be pretty cool. But otherwise... Um, I think like anything, it'll just pop on streaming before and Paramount Plus or whatever before you know it. Yeah. It's, uh, uh. The Val Kilmer scene is really well done, but mm. it's 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 just a scene, and um, I'm not really gonna. I can't really spoil it, but the way it plays out is not unsimilar to how Val Kilmer is handled in Jay and Silent Bob Strikes uh, the reboot. <laughs> <laughs> Because the health reasons Val Kilmer, um, the, the speaking stuff is quite difficult for him. So they, it's a lot of you know text and typing and things. Uh, and uh, uh, someone pointed out, you know, gee, in this movie, you know, Tom Cruise looks really, really young. And then uh, looking on Reddit and stuff uh, or some YouTube videos, people pointed out, and they've been doing this with women in movies and TV for years. And I guess now they're doing it to men. Uh, even in stuff where they're not playing younger versions of themselves, they're using CG to smooth out the the necklines and the hands oh, and that. Oh god! And so if you look at him, like in the, uh, you know, in press interviews and 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 things, like he looks quite different than in the movie. And it's not like he has that overly smooth. Uh, and and sometimes in older movies, and they remove a lot of the grain, that filter. Uh, I think you know what I'm I'm talking about, Alex. It's yeah. uh people look quite smooth like a the the, the first predator blu-ray was like an infamous example of that it almost looks yeah, cartoony and they, glowy kind of glowy yeah and um they don't quite do that and this but pretty damn near close and, and frankly I, I think people should age 
uh, naturally. Well, uh, I, I've, I've never been a fan of plastic surgery. I'm fascinated with it. I think for facial reconstruction and stuff after for medical things, like I, yeah. I'm in favor of it, but I don't know. What, what do you think about plastic looking people, Thrasher? It it really depends because I do I do yes. you know believe in 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 bodily autonomy and if and if sure, somebody sure, sure. wants to to do right. that then I would ne- I would never stop them. Uh, yeah. You know that that being said, there's I I think you know it it goes wrong when you do something blatantly fake and then try to pass it off as natural, uh, or when you try to do something natural yeah. and it comes out looking very very fake. Like it's like I don't like if if you if you've ever seen like a person. If you've ever seen a person who's tried to get subtle plastic surgery, but it's still obviously plastic surgery, it almost looks Frankensteinian. But then if you see somebody who's like, you know what, I want giant lips and the narrowest nose medically possible, and I don't care what anybody thinks, they end up looking better because they carry that with confidence. And, you know, all mm. the all the all the artifice of it kind of transcends itself. Um you know, so I don't know. Like, I guess, like, it's it's one of those things. It's a, it's an option. I believe people should have. I just wish That's people were sort of more more deliberate in embracing the artificiality of it. Yeah, the interesting thing is that, like, so Tom Cruise's character in Top Gun, the first one, is it tracks. He would be the age that he is now if we're following the timeline, right? Because Top Gun is what, like, nineteen ninety, uh, late eighties. Late eighties, yeah. Yeah, so nearly, you know, nearly 40 years later, like, you know, he's going to look the age that he is. So it's not like, you know, he needs to be this, like, young man. Like, this character is going to be an older fucking dude. Um, and it's just funny. When I saw the the first trailer drop, I was like, was the world clamoring for another Top Gun movie? I don't, like... Like I, we came of age at a time when Top Gun was incredibly popular. I mean, everyone. Uh, of course, yeah. Yeah, I'd seen sure. it and liked it and whatever. But I was like, is this the one? Like, is this another one of those movies that like I, I should have been losing my mind over my whole life? Or, well, you know, it's yeah. it's so weird because also also like between between the release of the original Top Gun and now, there have been several disastrous wars. Yeah, <laughs> like, I know. Does this movie even address what the hell Maverick would have been doing? during Iraq and Afghanistan. Right. Exactly. I'm glad you pointed that out. And in, in both the original Top Gun and the new one, they, they only refer to the bad guys as the enemy. And that's done very, uh, very much on purpose. I think, A, not to date the film, but B, I think maybe to to sell it better in different countries because it can mean whatever you want it to mean. Um, and, and also, you know, they probably noticed that Berlin Wall was going to fall pretty soon. So let's not name anyone specifically. Yes, yes, yes. And I mean, also, you have the um, God, you have the specifics. You have. Uh, of course, this Top Gun Maverick does what the Expendables 3, which we've covered earlier in the show, did. And that, oh, the the old guy is going to show the young people that old equipment can still be good. <laughs> so. <laughs> It it does this. It, it just gets really forced at some points, and uh, I I do appreciate they brought back um, Harold Faltermeyer to do the score along with uh, Hans Zimmer. But what I find quite strange, and I haven't been able to to find a straight answer on this, is Lady Gaga gets a score credit, oh. and I think it's only because. The you she provides a song for the end credits. That's kind of this 
I don't know if it's a love or a friendship ballad. It's, it, I don't think it quite, for me, it doesn't quite fit the movie, but they use that melody in the score a lot. You're my a top gun, top gun. Hey, hey. It's, it's like, we're going to hold my hand and be friends till the end. Like it, <laughs> it's uh, it's plain to see. No, it should use the line. It's plain to see. But um, Yeah, because it's about planes. Yeah. But in, in the beginning of the, of the movie, uh, I mean, how shameless this film gets. Uh, yeah. It, at the beginning, it plays Danger Zone. And it does it during the same time as in the original movie where you hear Danger Zone and it's like, all oh. oh, right, it's an action scene. Nope, just planes landing and taking off in an aircraft carrier. <laughs> That's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, going back to the, the Lady Gaga song, like I wanted to have like a rap in the middle. Maverick yes. up to his old tricks, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that, that reminds me of this. I was just reading a... Um, Oh, I need to look. I don't have the name of the book in, in front of me, but it was a pretty good kind of track by track analysis of uh, Michael Jackson's um, solo career. Mm. And they mention uh, in Black or White, there's that rap in the middle. And the the guy that does the vocals was one of um, the composers Michael Jackson worked with. And he just did that rap as a temp track. And Michael Jackson liked it so much, he insisted he keep it in. And the guy was like, please don't. <laughs> and so it's like done under a stage name that means like white guy or something because it, it was a white person doing it. <laughs> and he he just thought like it's really inappropriate for me to be rapping about this stuff. Like he should get Biggie Smalls or, or someone to do it. And Michael Jackson's like, no, it sounds great. You're gonna do it. Let's love it. <laughs> do they uh, do they lean into the uh, not so subtle layers of homoeroticism that was in the first one? <laughs> Um, not as much as I would have liked. There, there is a, a scene where instead of volleyball, they play um, highlight, like, uh, like wrestling. No, um, they, <laughs> they do uh, the. Um, oh, God, my mind is just believing me this morning. Uh, it, it's like touch football on the beach. Yeah, okay. but they got to have the shot of Tom Cruise winning over the younger guys. Yeah, he can catch a ball. He, uh, but yeah, so, and, and now, you know, uh, they filmed Mission Impossible 6 and 7. Uh, back to I back. I think they're back to back, or they were going to do it back to back, and then COVID happens. But uh, anyhow, you know, I don't think we need seven Mission Impossible movies either, let alone a second Top Gun. But it's, despite me bitching about it for the past 10 minutes, um, if you have a, a local movie theater with a really good speaker system, uh, it's it, it's fun to see if you're in the mood, but maybe sneak a beer in. Yeah, or two. It's, it's you know, funny, yeah. all these years, I thought it was, I went to the danger zone. But no, it was highway. I didn't know it was highway. <laughs> it sounded like I went to the danger zone. Which, yeah, not only that, the, the lyricist for danger zone was Halter Faltermeyer's car mechanic. Okay. Because huh. his mechanic is like, I hear you're doing music for movies. He's like, yes. And then he's like, uh. Oh, oh, I, I, I can write. Can I do lyrics? And he's like, okay. And then it happened to be this hit song, so the royalties, I'm sure that... Nice. I, mean, I hope he's, uh, Faltermeyer still is the mechanic to this day, working on his uh, cars. I, I, uh, also, some, something else fun is that you can sing those lyrics to the Super Mario theme. Highway to the danger zone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's... Uh, well, you, the... the, the this will be the last thing, and you all can have your turn as well. But the um, <laughs> funny thing with Mario music 
is the music when you get the star is the same as a song from Jesus Christ Superstar. Who, the, what, the, when, the, where, the, why, the, who, do, do, do. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. I learned that from the book How to Win at Nintendo Games Volume 4. That's hilarious. And when I and I read that, I said no. And they, my my parents had the album on a cassette, and I listened to it, and I I threw the book across the room, and I was like, "Damn it!" <laughs> that and Atlas Shrugged, man. Yes, yeah, I've done that for a few books. I've typically Did not abusive to paper materials, but knock a stud out of the wall with that. Um, <laughs> not more like it it bounced off and probably hit me in the forehead during my life. But <laughs> cool. So, uh. Thrasher, what have you been watching? So I, uh, I, I went uh, digging deep into the past and finally watched a, uh, a movie. It's uh, directed by Herschel Gordon Lewis, written by Ooh. James F. Hurley. Uh, a rather infamous movie, Something Weird, which is also the namesake for Something Weird Video, which eventually became the distributor for this movie on home on home media. And they have a good catalog. Oh, it's an amazing catalog. But uh, something something weird. This is what this is a movie that may be impossible to describe. And like every scene, it becomes a different movie. It starts as a documentary about UFOs, but then it becomes about a man who gets electrocuted by a live wire and has to have facial reconstruction surgery. <laughs> but then it turns out he's psychic, and then it turns out the U.S. government wants to recruit him for a psychic, uh, a psychic spy project. But then he goes into hiding and becomes a professional psychic. And then at one point, he performs an exorcism. Also, there's a witch. Hey, yeah, I have a witch. And there's more. That's like one third of what this movie is. If you are at all interested, you should see it. It is, it is not a good movie, but it is bad in all the most entertaining ways and in all the ways only a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie can be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it's available for free on Tubi. Hey, how about that? Nice. Uh, is this one of those that was in that huge box set that had a, like bucket of blood or whatever that had all this stuff? I, I would not be surprised if it was, uh, but I, I am not sure. Is how's how's the gore compared to his other pictures? There is very little gore. In fact, I'll say there. Now that I think about it, I don't think there's any gore in this. You, you get some like weird like facial makeup for the guy's scarring after he's electrocuted. Oh god! And the way he's electrocuted is a live wire falls on a person who's like you know working on some aluminum siding. He's not the guy this movie is about. The guy this movie is about goes. Everybody, stay away from that live wire. I'll get rid of it. I'm trained. And he just picks up the live wire with his bare hands, walks away, and you can see the moment when the actor realizes, oh, wait, I'm supposed to get electrocuted too, and then just jabs the wire into his own face and starts screaming. (laughs) (laughs) So because of the lack of gore, you're saying it's good for the kids. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Even though it gets highly sexual. Uh, later on, like the, like the second half really is nothing but people having affairs, but also ghosts are there too, and also LSD experiments. Nice. 
Yeah, that would be a great name for a, a short story collection. Nothing but affairs, dot, 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 but also ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And let me see. Oh, and here, here's the description. So here's the tagline from the original poster. Lust and passion surround the incredible supernatural worlds of ESP and witchcraft in a boiling, bizarre tale of mad love that shocks even the unearthly. Very good. That's Alex, what have you been watching? Um, so as everyone knows, I geek out pretty hard over Hong Kong stuff, um, especially martial arts stuff. So I got the Arrow box set of the Shaw Brothers collection. Nice. Um, lots of great movies on here. Um, a lot of familiar ones that I think a lot of us have all, all have seen. Um, but a first time viewing on this was uh, the Chang Che film Chinatown Kid. Um, it's a it's a great movie, and it's funny because after Bruce Lee blew up in the early seventies, um, they they tried to make more like real quote realistic like martial arts films, less wuxia, flying swordsman stuff, mm. and more like modern you know punch punch kick, not like you know elaborate choreography. And they they tried to do that here with um, Alexander Fuchang, uh, who is a really interesting up and comer. And they really want him to be the next Bruce Lee. They want everyone to be the next Bruce Lee. But um, it's interesting because the story kind of parallels Bruce Lee's coming to America. So it's about, you know, this kind of like amiable, tough. He's a tough guy, but he's got a heart of gold, blah, 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 blah. Poor father. And then he gets into a scenario where he has to flee the country. So he moves to Chinatown in California and, um, you know, does the whole like, you know, small time yokel, makes it in the big city. But of course, it's a crime film, so. We all know that's going to turn out. Um, it is funny, though, because whatever they cast, like, uh, like the, the English aspects of the acting are hilarious. Like, the whole time he's in um, Chinatown, he keeps thinking hot dogs are actually dog meat sausages. Huh. So he'll be like, hey, let's go out and get some dog meat sausages. Mm-mm-mm. It's fucking weird. Um, it's, a, it's a little too long. It's it, It's got some jagged uh narrative beats but it's an interesting movie if if you're um into some weird shaw brother outlier movies i would definitely check it out very dog meat sausages very good with the yeah. nice um does it is there a, a comedic scene where he is told that's not the case or they just kind of i think it's like explained to him but the translation just doesn't click Ah, uh, like it's not actually made a dog. That's just the name. He's like, yeah, the name is Dog Meat Sausage. <laughs> yeah, maybe interesting. Well, yeah. I also think it might be one of the reasons why this movie was downplayed for so many years because it, you know, propagates the stereotype of people eating oh, dogs. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. I had a hot dog yesterday at Costco, and I got quite sick from it. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> I like a good hot dog, and it was an okay hot dog. They used to have a, a sausage you could get that was a good bit better, but they took that off the menu. Oh, that sucks. If but it's if not going Nathan's, to cost... I ain't eating it. Really? Yeah, I mean, Nathan's is pretty yeah. good. I, off of the... Um, uh, we, we have a local chain out, out here called... I don't, uh, do either of you have it called Grocery Outlet? No. Where they just kind of get stuff that typically doesn't it's not like expired but it's just stuff that doesn't sell well at a deep discount so you get all these weird brands which i kind of like and and this this was a uh you could bake it in the oven or microwave it but we baked it and this was hot dogs uh 
it, it kind of instead of like doing a hot dog and a croissant, it's a hot dog and a bagel. Huh. A bagel dog, yeah. And it was cool. Nathan's branded. So, but even the discount price for it was $6 for four of them. Which is quite a lot. Yeah, damn it. I should have got a Nathan's dog when I was in uh, Vegas this past December, but I did Ooh. not. Because <laughs> I was too drunk and too tired to take up my wallet. <laughs> if, if I had a time machine, I would get one of the hot dogs at Pink's. Man... Just even just to go to Pink's to people watch to see Marlon Brando and looks a good son attending all the give me all the hot dogs. Just close the restaurant down. I'll take them all. Take all the hot dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what sucks is the papaya dog is shutting down. No. Wow, that's papaya? Another... Yeah. Oh. Although in better news that it looks like not that I went to the old one, but it looks like the Cinerama Dome is gonna be reopening. Cinerama. I've got the How the West Was Won Blu-ray. Then like the Cinerama print. Cool. Yeah, How does that look on a television? I wonder. Um, you can see the bars from the three screens. You know, there's you can see like there's like a little bit of an indentation on each side of the screen. Oh, I see. They have bars separating the vertical. Yeah, because uh, they transfer the three projections uh, from the three screens to you know one big wide screen. Um, it's not. Painful, but if you know how Cinerama works, it will stay stand out to you. Yeah, when my wife and I started dating, she worked at um, she wasn't a projectionist, but she kind of had to you know do basically security, trying to catch people fooling around or whatever in the theater at this uh, uh, science museum. And they and it was it, the screen is like a dome, um, but I, I saw something in there with her once, and like everything was so distorted. The picture Weird. when when spread over a dome thing, you know. Like, I yeah, don't understand. Right. The same area was also used as a planetarium, which makes a bit more sense. But Right, yeah, but... Like, let's listen to the Grateful Dead and see some twinkling lights, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a sequel scene that Thrasher found. Do you want to set the scene? Yeah, so this is... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I believe this is after Quatermass has attended the tour and seen through the, the, the view plate on that dome and he's now talking to one of his associates uh, back at his uh, back at his laboratory. I see this. Yeah. And it's, um, God, when you read this, this really does read like techno babble. <laughs> okay. So who wants to be Quatermass? Who wants to be Marsh? I guess I'll, I'll do Marsh. I'll do Quatermass. Okay. Action. And they've just, and they've just recovered uh, one of the, the pods from space. Hey, look at this, sir. Look at this. I, I think it's I think it's a whole one. Y- yes, it is. It's exactly the same old shape as the other one, isn't it? Y- y- it isn't even cracked. What is it? That, that's funny. I, I thought I felt a, a sort of... Put it down! A, a sort of vibration. Marsh, your face! There was something on your face! Are you all right? Let me take a look. You know, for a moment, I could have sworn I saw something that looked like a big black bubble. I like that your Quatermass is slowly turning into James Mason. A little dash of Michael York. Ah, yes. Basilac's position. Austin, the volcano is going to blow up in three seconds unless you go and open it up and put a kind of cream in there. Austin, that's my mother. (laughs) What are we going to do? 
are we going to send an atomic motor rocket into space? That's when I had to get Ozzy a giant bowl of black M&Ms. Oh, wait, brown. Brown. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. I, I can imagine maybe Ozzy uh, insisting uh, he have an a, a intern like paint his M&Ms black. <laughs> oh, look, I got black M&Ms exclusive to me in, in my trailer. Well, you actually know the derivation of the M&M story is oh, that yeah. it was a Van Halen thing and they had a lot of elaborate props and riggings and pyrotechnics and shit. So what they did is that they'd slide in the brown or whatever colored M&M thing in the contract to make sure people were reading it. So they would actually follow through on all the safety precautions for the uh, stage. Because they had a wow, few shows okay. where, like, you know, Diamond Dave's flying around stage and fireworks are going off. And he got, like, yeah. fucked up, burned his leg or something. I don't know. And and other other acts that did a lot of pyrotechnics and stagecraft picked that up. Oh, yeah. Because it worked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, like, when you check in, you had... see a bowl of M&Ms, you're like, oh, they read it. Thank God. No, it's smart. Uh, Jeff Daniels had this horrific story of being on SNL with them. Um, I was thinking of it just because, you know, they, they did it as like a safety precaution thing. Where some sketch where they had to take the mold of his head or, or to prep for this uh, mask and they had to do a mold of his head. But he said the, the guy uh, applying the, the mold uh, seemed kind of, you know, uh, sketchy. Maybe high at work or, yeah, kind of a bit sketchy. And so instead of putting whatever normal adhesive you do, he put like uh, rubber cement. Oh, so he was like trapped in this thing for maybe like a few hours more than he was supposed to. As they oh, had to God. get like emergency people, they had to find a doctor. <laughs> and this was like wow. Maybe I think this was like the same. Might have even been the same. Maybe Saturday morning, and they were doing the show later that night or something. Wow! And, and so That's they managed crazy. to get stuff off in time. But if you Look at that episode. His face is a bit irritated. Um, <laughs> I wonder why. Of, yeah, Did they even do that happened. sketch? Probably not. They probably cut it at rehearsal. That that part I'm not sure about. But he, he mentioned the story on an episode of Letterman. I was just browsing random clips. And it was like just so horrifying. Like I don't. I've always been curious to have that done. And I'm not sure if I can handle it. Because some people just like can't. Because of the claustrophobia stuff. Wow. Where you have to breathe through like a little straw. It's, uh, speaking of horrific, um, I know what movies we're going to do next. Oh. We just did Crater Mass 1 and 2. The other ones we'll, we'll probably cover at some later time. But, oh, so we're, we're going to skip ahead? Uh... Yeah, we'll skip ahead. Do a little Crater Mass break. What we'll be doing next time is something I've been wanting to do since the very beginning of Sequel Cast. Ooh. And I, I never have. Um, one, because they kept on threatening to remake it, and I thought, well, let's wait for the remake, and uh-huh. that got canceled a few times. And two, I think uh, I like that time has passed because now we can view it through a lens that uh, perhaps, uh, well, certainly was not the case when the films were released. We'll be looking at the Revenge of the Nerds quadrilogy. Oh, oh my boy. lord. And does this include the movie that was a pilot for a TV series that didn't uh, um, get picked up? Yeah, I can throw that on there. That's terrible, but yes. Uh, Where they they try to make sex crimes appropriate for television. Uh, Yeah, it's... um, These would be interesting. I debated whether to do this or some of the American Pie ones. I think Revenge of the Nerds is more interesting because it's... uh, A, we're nerds. B... Yeah, I don't know. Like, it's... There's going to be a lot to talk about, I think, with this. Oh, yes. A lot to unpack. 
<laughs> and um, Darth Vader and a cameo that may shock you. Ooh, <laughs> yes. To say nothing of um, the the two um, made for TV movies on on one of the extras on the DVD, they got uh, oh, is it Curtis? What what's the actor of the main person of a uh, booger? Oh, the Curtis guy Armstrong oh, that yeah. plays booger, and he mentions he sort of like they don't have commentaries on the other movies, but he kind of mentions in passing the the two uh, TV sequels. Uh, that did very well for Fox at Next Generation and Nerds in Love. And he mentions like, oh, uh, and, and so uh, you do a second TV movie because you feel bad about how bad the third one was and you want to make it up to people. But <laughs> the fourth one is Booger Gets Married. Oh, my so God. It's, uh, yeah, th- th- this will be quite something. And, and this DVD set new, it it goes for hundreds of dollars. And aye, I, managed to find, wow. I managed to find it used and I had free coupons, so I didn't really have to pay anything for it. Um, for like thirty bucks. Damn, not bad. No, at the time I remember, I was uh, I just moved to Portland. Was uh, was dating a girl mainly because I wanted to find a place to that had an actual bed because I didn't have a bed at the time, but, and I wasn't going to spend my money my own money on a mattress because it was cheap. So um, anyhow, if it's more information that people wanted to know, but. Uh-huh. Uh, we were going to the mall, and I, I go to the DVD store, and I was going to get The Departed to just come out, and they had released a, a domestic version of um, the, is it was a trilogy of films or something? Oh, Infernal Affairs? Yeah, Infernal Affairs. That's yeah, those it. are awesome, yeah. Yeah, except the, the, the price on that was more than what they quoted me, and so instead I got the cheaper Revenge of the Nerds collection, <laughs> and uh, somehow I still got laid that night, so that's something, but... <laughs> But yeah, Revenge of the Nerds, I think there'll be a lot to unpack. And, oh, um, yes. Some some negative, some some positive. I mean, there's uh, more people of color than you would expect in, ah. in films of this vintage. And uh, uh, gay characters and, and all sorts of things. But also, it's... I People say this all the time, but I truly do not think you could remake it the same way today. You would have to completely, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but yeah, you would have to completely restructure your premise. And it would be a good counterpoint to something like Porky's because it's trying to go after that Porky's money. (laughs) Oh boy. And yet Porky's has a sweetness. Well, it has a sweetness and it has a political stance. Like that's the (laughs) thing that that I love going back and watching Porky's. They're all very anti-racist movies. I got that going for him. Yeah, I um, I, I don't think you're going to see any academic journals on the political stance of Revenge of the Nerds quadrilogy <laughs> anytime soon. But oh. I, I was uh, uh, at college at Georgia State, and uh, uh, the dorms were the old Olympic villages when they were in Atlanta in '96, and um, you had the uh, a Revenge of the Nerds remake was being filmed at Georgia Tech, but they only got a few weeks into production before. Georgia Tech got a hold of the actual script and said, absolutely no way. And the studio <laughs> didn't like the dailies they were getting. Um, and, and I recall the Craigslist posting, and I wish I would have gone to that audition for that scene for extras. Wow. But I was too meek and nervous. So, uh, so that we could have uh, <clears throat> uh, our, our, our allotted uh, requirement of SNL tangents. Did you yes. all see when Jason Momoa hosted SNL, did you all see the Revenge of the Nerds parody sketch that he did? No. 
I, I don't at, remember it, but I'm sure I saw it. But. It's it's quite good. Where the whole the whole premise is, you know how there's there's that one jock who just screams nerds. Yes. He plays that guy, and he gets so angry at the very concept of nerds that he starts to frighten the other jocks around him. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hilarious. Yeah, that original actor was in a series of commercials, I think, playing a Viking for insurance companies or something. Oh, cool. But he looked like just the same. He had the same, you know, build and did the same kind of nerd. I don't think he screamed nerds, but it was fun seeing that actor. I mean, yeah, what if you did Revenge of the Nerds with uh, Jason Momoa in it? That would... (laughs) (laughs) My thing when I think of Revenge of the Nerds is in um, Piers Anthony's second memoir which is an odd read for several reasons. Mm. He refers to Revenge of the Nerds as Revolt to the Nerds. And I was like, well, that editor wasn't paying attention to this book. <laughs> well, I, I like to imagine that there was like a direct-to-video ripoff Maybe. called Revolt of the Nerds that Roger Corman did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that certainly would have been in uh, in the same wheelhouse. So very good. So we'll be talking about Revenge of the Nerds next time. Be sure to uh, you know practice all your Olympic events like bicycling and jousting and uh, playing bands. Curling. Oh, yeah. Don't forget curling. Curling. Uh, re- what, remodeling houses. Getting an old fixer-upper. <laughs> uh, a lot of music. Uh, the soundtrack to the original Revenge of the Nerds I quite like, actually. Um Got to put one step in front of the other. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be quite something. Or uh, okay, so uh, for sequel cast two, I'm Matt. Follow me on Twitter at metwbt. Um, you can also watch me stream at Twitch.tv/metwbt. And why did I say that? Like I don't know my name. And um, <laughs> on on. Uh, Lately on Twitch, I've been doing uh, news related to the upcoming computer game Return of Monkey Island. So, Return to Monkey Island, excuse me. And uh, the news has been very slow in that game, and unfortunately, fan reaction has been so negative. Twice, the uh, creator of the series and the designer in this game, the sixth in the series, he's back after only doing the first two games in the 80s, um, has basically shut down his personal website twice because the comments got so negative. Oh, and he said, he's not going to comment on the, he's not going to post about the game again. Cause he doesn't like people. Cause it, the art style, people are getting very angry about, despite the fact that each game in the series has a different art style, pretty much. I mean, fair. I can see why, you know, people can be pretty ridiculous. Yep. And the internet makes it feel like their opinion matters, which is the best and worst thing about the internet. Oh Yeah. Um, well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, WT2Art, uh, and I believe that's also my Instagram. If you're interested in that, I need to start updating that a bit more. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, attend some of my events at Gen Con. I'm running a whole slate of LARPs. Just look for the Kettle of Fish Productions LARPs. Several of them on the pre-registration website say they're sold out. We're going to have some overflow spots. So even if we're sold out, you can show up with generic tickets and we should still be able to fit you in. And Alex. I uh, can follow me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. You can also drop by my YouTube channel, The Trailer Project. Um, I haven't posted anything in a little bit, but stay tuned. There's more on the horizon.
And um, I'll be doing two live SQL Cast 2 panels uh, with my friends out here in Portland, Oregon at the WasabiCon PDX. It is at the uh, Hilton in downtown Portland on the 30th and the 31st. Sweet. Uh, Please come if you can. Topics, and we'll be there both days uh, towards the early afternoon, I believe, unless that changes, which it could. Um, the, the topics uh, include two things. You know, it's anime and kind of gaming themed. So one is what it was like being an anime fan in the 90s. It was a lot more difficult and more expensive. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you got a lot of stuff cut out. And uh, and the other one is about um, video games that should be made into anime because, you know, Castlevania on Netflix was a success. and uh, you, That hasn't happened as much as you might think, considering how much crossover there is between fans of the two. Yeah. So... Should be fun. Very cool. All right. Well, uh, until next time. Uh, oh, check out SequelCast 2 to download the show. Uh-huh. And uh, it's also available on all fine podcast uh, providers. And we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. For SequelCast 2, this is Matt. This is Thrasher. And this is Alex. Same. Police? Oh, we don't need them. We're a law-abiding community, aren't we? Hello, I'm Dr. Quatermass. Give me your money. No, you might know, I'm not you might know me from my delightful collection of hot oat cereal, Quatermass Oats. It Quatermass. is full of full of little uh, slime goblets in every uh, bit, and if you turn into a spinach monster, oh, so be it. You got one with too many pods. Quatermass Oats goes well with Michael York's jam. And it c- comes with rocket marshmallow toys in every box. Quite it's a oats. toy, and then you can eat it as a marshmallow if you wish, but you might have intestinal distress or blockage. Quite a mass oats. It'll send you to the moon. Provided you get the grant money. Oh, yes. Always got to get that goddamn grant money. Yeah.